Jack Dapper Blues Heritage Preservation Foundation is a tax-exempt 501c3 nonprofit private foundation. Your donations, sponsoring, and funding allows us to create content that raises awareness of African-American traditional music, African-American folklore, and the black experience. Check the link in the description box to donate. If you wish to sponsor podcasts, documentary series, or underwrite ads in our upcoming newspaper, The African American Folklorist, launching February 5th, 2020, contact the email address in the description box. Hey, this is Big Lou, and when I'm on the internet, I'm listening to Jack Dabba Blues. I'm Dietrich Farr, listening to Jack Dabba Blues. This is Adam Gusso. Hi, I'm Veronica Jackson, America's acoustic folk blues singer. You're listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Hello, this is Ray Brooks. You're listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Hi, this is Guy and Davis. Hey there, folks. This is Don Fleming of the American Songster, slapping the dap with Jack Dapper Blues. Hey everybody, this is Walter Trout, and you are listening to Jack Dapper Blues. Hey, this is Shamika Copeland. Hey, I'm Ben Turner of Piedmont Blues. I'm here with Valerie Turner. And we are bluesing with Lamont Jack Parley, the best radio station for true blues. Hi, I'm Larry Griffin, and I keep it locked and loaded on Jack Dapper Blues. Yes, yes, yes. Sharecropping, farming, a staple to African-American traditions that dates back as far as we can go. We also know that the African-American traditional music legends we all revere, majority of them got their start on a farm. Hip-hop being the great-great-grandchild of the blues, inspired agricultural expert James Bunch, who was also William Bunch, a.k.a. P.D. Wheatstraw's great-nephew, to create a project and program called Hip Hop Farmers to revitalize and reconnect our hip-hop and younger generation to our older tradition of farming so we can self-sustain. Blues and agriculture actually goes hand in hand. Oh boy, I spent a lot of days in the cotton fields. <laughs> so you know, so so well, yes, you know that's interesting. So right. you literally were in cotton fields. Yes, sir, as, I did. As, as a young man. I was born July 4, nineteen fifty-seven, over in a little place called Cotton Plant, Arkansas, and uh, back then farm labor was a necessity. We owned a few acres. We not only worked our lands, but we also worked for the local uh, white farmers around in the community. That's how you put food on the table. Mm. So I then took, uh, Jack, I took that agricultural knowledge. I went to school. I went to uh, University of Oxford at Pine Bluff, got my degree in agriculture. I then got a master's degree in agronomy from uh, Alcorn State University. And I worked for the Department of Agriculture for 34 plus years. 
I just retired wow. about five years ago. Wow. Wow. You know, that it, <laughs> I stutter because the so many things and people ran through my mind from like Booker T. Washington and all these people who right. were like, you know, we toiled the land and instead of doing X, Y, Z, we need to capitalize off of our strengths and what we did. And I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. Right, right. On so many levels. Now, uh, um, Rico told me of a project you've been working on, but I have to ask you this before we get into the project. Okay. Because there's been a lot, you know, I have a couple of uh, folk I know that are black farmers in this day and age that's been for quite some time. And I've been asking them as well. You, we're seeing the situation or, or the remnants of a situation from when black families were being cheated out of land or, or getting less fertile land. And now we're, right, so now we're seeing these companies somehow uh, unscrupulously getting their lands and making it hard for black farmers. First, share with us, do, have you seen this, experienced this, and then give us a perspective on what's happening? What region are you in, by the way? Oh, we're down in the South. Uh, we're in Tennessee, uh, where, we're, where we're located right here, uh, just outside of Memphis. But we're okay. down here in the South. I guess you would categorize it South Central, because, uh, you know, uh, Arkansas, you know, butts up against Texas. And then, of course, Tennessee and Missouri. So we're in, which would be considered the South Central region. If you okay. go farther east, now you're talking uh, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, that's Southeast. So we're South Central. Okay, so just to be clear to the audience, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're speaking South Central of the Delta region. That's correct. Yes, sir. Or the USA, well, if you look at it, if you're looking at the map of the United States, that's correct. We're in the heart of the Delta down here in the South. Agriculture and blues and black spirituals. This, this is what gets my my blood flowing. All right, man. Let's not go to church now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so have you noticed this throughout the years? Well, let me tell you. Now, with my background, there's uh, right now, there have, of course, been a large amount of black farmers lose their lands uh, through... As you mentioned earlier, uh, some of their land was stolen. Some of us simply sold the land without having the knowledge of that why we should keep the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of this started for your listening audience, those who are, are tuned in historically. Uh, guys like myself growing up in the South and our parents, I'm sure people have heard and they can Google the Great Migration and what that Great Migration was about. Black sharecroppers coming out of, of slavery, owning, well, working the land, and some own land, those who could get their hands on land, uh, you know, through they either bought it or they inherited, it, you know, from, uh, in some cases, perhaps, slave masters, I'm not certain, but they got their hands on land. That was back, you know, in the early, uh, you know, 1900s. Many of us couldn't live, couldn't make a living of it. So what did we do? We migrated north. That's why, you know, most everybody from down south got relatives up in Chicago, Detroit, Philly. <laughs> we went north. That's and what right. What did we do? We left the land. We either sold the land, we left it, forgot about it, didn't pay the taxes. We lost the land. 
And so back in the early 1900s, black folks owned millions of acres as farmers. Mm. And uh, and uh, I'm not sure what the statistic is now, but man, it's dwindled down to to such a small, paltry amount. It's just ridiculous. But that's what happened in a lot of cases, you know, with our land. That's why, you know, I'm recalled, man, when, uh, you know, being a boy from the farm myself, you know, I think about the, the, the movie Gone with the Wind. Mm. I think about that scene when Scarlett's father told her, you know, this was after, you know, they had come through and wiped out Atlanta. Her father told her, whatever you do, Scarlett, hold on to the land. It's the only thing that will last. Mm. And that stuck with me as a young child. And I never forgot it. And so when I talk to black folks about who do own land, I tell them, stay with the land. Don't get rid of it. Mm. You know, it's very emotional to me, you know, when I talk about it. No, absolutely. But that's one of the reasons why, you know, a lot of us don't own land. You know, we either sold it. And here's a modern day example is this. You know, a, a gentleman uh, who may own five, 600 acres, he passes on. You know, he... he leaves the land to his children. Well, you know, they may have been living up north somewhere in Chicago, New York, and they decide to come back and do what with the land? First thing they do, man, they sell it. That's how we're losing a lot of our land. They don't think, you know, they think, well, you know, I might make three, $400,000 off of that land. That's true. They could sell it to a local farmer, and nine times out of ten, it ain't us, if you know what right. I mean. Yes, and I we do. We have the resources to buy that land. So they sell that land and go back up north, you know, instead of leasing the land to that local farmer, black or white. And right. guess what? They've got revenue coming off of that land, and they're still the owners of that land. That's what we try to encourage people. Every time we get an opportunity, we try to encourage them to do just that. So now, with, with that being said, before we go into any more of the trials and tribulations, and there's an article that came out recently in the Atlantic uh, based about uh, how Mississippi black farmers are being marginalized. And it comes to find out that this big corporation has many investors and the uh, I believe the UFT, the United Federation of Teachers, I hope I'm not wrong, uh, have a big investment in that. But before we get into all of that. You have a project, an agricultural project that um, you've been working on, I, I believe, with young folk in the community, something to that effect. Rico uh, privileged me to. You want to share? Oh, absolutely. The name of my project is called, and like you said, I'm gearing it to you, Hip Hop Farmers. And uh, what we did last year, uh, the U.S. Department of Agriculture sponsored me and my team, six guys. Uh, we went into seven states. Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, North and South Carolina, and Tennessee. And we conducted workshops to tell young people in the community as well as adults about this initiative and how it would benefit their communities uh, by developing production agriculture projects in their communities to grow fresh fruits and vegetables. We talked to them about all the funding mm, now available from the Department of Agriculture such as youth loans up to $5,000, micro loans up to $50,000 for them to get into the business of agriculture. And what I'm excited about is I'm trying to get uh, professional athletes to support this initiative. And I'm talking to the NBA, 
or the NFL uh, to provide funding for 100 production agriculture projects across the USA so that we can share it with uh, our young people and others uh, in the communities. And what this project does, Jack, it will impact people who live in food desert communities. That's what, that's the whole uh, goal of this initiative is to show our folks that, hey, look, if you live in a food desert and food desert, if you're in a food desert, that means there is no grocery store within a 10 mile radius of you. And if you do uh, your, your research, you'll find that across the USA, many zip codes, particularly in urban communities and rural communities, don't have a grocery store where you can go in and get you know, your essentials as relates to fresh fruits and vegetables and other uh, items. And this mm. is a big push with the uh, USDA Food and Nutrition Service. Uh, you know, they're backing it. However, uh, I've not been able to get their support you know, to do these projects. That's why I wanted to think outside of the box and reach out to the NFL and the NBA. Now, why I say the NFL right now, I'm sure your audience is aware that recently, uh, hip-hop artist Jay-Z uh, got a contract from the NFL to do projects focusing on social justice, et cetera. Well, I would that is say, true. here's something else that they can look into. Other Social justice is important. But, man, we've got to start showing people, you know, how to grow your own fresh fruits and vegetables, how to become an entrepreneur in the business of agriculture. And, every, you know, what celebrities and, and some have overlooked. Agriculture is a multi-billion dollar industry. And that's what I tell people. Multi-billion dollars. I mean, man, the grant money that USDA gives out totals in hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm certain... Hey, people know about it, but uh, certain communities may not be aware of it. And so that's why my team and I are getting out promoting this. And I want, you know, either the NBA or NFL, man, to promote hip hop farmers. I have a couple of questions. Yes, First, sir. wouldn't you equate what you're doing, agriculture and and for that matter, low income African-American communities to social injustice? I mean, agriculture alone could be considered that, right? Because you can say the foods that are in our communities or that are affordable is pretty much an act of warfare. However, if you know how to grow your own food, you can never be broke. Or at least you can never be hungry, correct? Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that, man. There's this thing called food insecurity, mm. which means you can't afford to buy it decent foods. But if you, and, uh, you know, here's how food, the prices of food work. If I got a trans, if I grow vegetables in California, Venezuela, New Zealand, wherever they come from, there's a transportation cost. Well, who do I add that to? I add that to my consumer. If mm. I could reduce my transportation costs and I'm growing uh, the vegetables right here in Memphis, over there in, uh, in the urban community, Guess what? My transportation cost is minimal, and I then can pass that savings on to my uh, customers. Here's a great right. example. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I did an interview uh, with the Daily Memphian about a month ago, a young, young black gentleman. And I was telling him, he came to my house to do, do the interview. I said, uh, did you pay any attention to the vacant lots that you passed? 
He said, no. I said, here's why that's critical. There are a million of vacant lots across the United States. And our people go by them every day. There's, there's trash there. There's weeds there. Imagine this. And this is what hip-hop farmers would do if we can get the support we need. You can take vacant lots right there in your community, uh, get a grant from the Department of Agriculture, or get a microloan, like I mentioned, you know, up to $50,000. Find you a decent vacant lot, begin growing fresh fruits and vegetables right there. Now, here's how you could get the USDA to support what you're doing. That's what I'm attempting to do. SNAP recipients, that Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program recipients, SNAP, they can use their EBT cards to purchase fresh fruits and vegetables now. USDA Correct. recently uh, passed uh, you know, that law. Uh, and to go a step further, they recently did it. They're doing a pilot project, man, in New York City. And I've reached out to the Food and Nutrition Service where they're, they're allowing Walmart and Amazon to allow SNAP recipients to purchase their uh, uh, food products and have them delivered uh, to their home. That's occurring uh, in New York City. I don't know if the pilot has started yet, but uh, you can Google and see when uh, this whole uh, contract was signed with Walmart and Amazon. But vacant lots, man. I mean, if you think about it, when you're driving past a vacant lot, rather than viewing it as just a vacant lot full of trash and weed, hey, man, that's cash money. It takes a little hard work, but it could easily turn into cash money. And you can get a little help, well, actually a lot of help, from the Department of Agriculture. So I have to ask you this before I forget, because I, I would like to talk about the name of this program, but I, I need to ask you this. So yes. because to your point, there is a lot of vacant lots from New York to New Orleans. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm aware of a few in New Orleans. So oh, with okay. that being said, if you, if you wish to get um, any one of these subsidies or whatever, do you need any permits? Can you go to any neighborhood that has a vacant lot and make this into a farm? Or is there different particulars or, or city, state licensings or permits that you have to deal with as well? Man, that's a great question. And here's my example. Okay, here in Shelby County, there are 4,000 vacant lots. Now, I've worked with the city of Memphis. I have a contact there. And in the city of Memphis, we have what's called a land bank. Now, you have to do your own research for your own city where you live in. But on that land bank, there's a map. They show you all of the vacant lots. There's approximately 4,000 here in Memphis. Now, here's what I've been told by the city officials. You can get that vacant lot basically for a song. If you're a nonprofit, you can get it for free, except for churches is what I've been told. Why they exclude churches, I don't know. But in most cases, here's where you start. Start with your, your city uh, city officials. Check to see if they have a land bank. If so, then inquire about how can I uh, acquire one of these vacant lots? I mean, do I buy it? Do you donate it to nonprofits like they do in Tennessee? Uh, so on and so forth. Now, the next question, answer to the second question was, Check the zoning. No, that's important. Can I grow, can this vacant lot in this section be used for agricultural purposes? So you have to get that cleared with your, you know, you with the, the city where you reside. And so that is important to know that. 
because you're going to have to do some irrigation, you know, of course, with uh, growing uh, food. And right. so, but that's, that's, that's the answer to, to that. Was there anything else you asked about that I missed? No, no, because, you know, in, in New York, considering that's where I'm located uh, presently, we have something called the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. So what that is, is, is so when you mentioned SNAP and the programs that are, are that are being implemented uh, presently, you know, the farmer's market has been out here for many years. So they have a couple of locations at Granomy Plaza, uh, Union Square, uh, Park, uh, Granomy Plaza in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. uh, Brooklyn Heights. Uh, by the courts in Brooklyn, uh, Union Square in Manhattan, and um, there's one in Park Chester and Bronx, and a few other places. What what this is is farmers from Albany uh, and that region, possibly others, but I know specifically Albany, come down here truckloads of their right. produce, okay. and they set up this market. You know, and people can get really, really fresh home, you know, homegrown, farm grown uh, uh, produce and things of this nature. And they right. um, they've implemented a snap program mm -hmm. that allows you to utilize because you have to get tokens to they don't deal in cash. You go to the um, the main table, you trade in your cash for the tokens. But what they mm -hmm. began to do is you can go with, with a snap benefits card and, and that gives you some sort of benefit. I believe it's either extra tokens or I can't remember what the actual benefit is. So there's okay. things like that here. And, and with that, with, with that being said, you know, in, in these, in, in the communities that I've frequented with or grown up in gentrification has been the main, uh, homegrown terrorist, so to speak for a lot of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's happening across the U S. Correct. And, you know, it, it would be just a, a great opportunity if if some of us in, in, in these low to no income communities were able to get some of these lots and right. create create farms, you know, right. and you can you can employ neighborhood people, things of that nature. Hey, that's the premise behind hip hop farmers, developing demonstration farms to train socially disadvantaged youth and others how to start a business and specialty crop production. And by specialty crop, I mean vegetable crops. So let's talk about the name first, because that's 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 grabbing me. Why did you, especially, especially because the blues and black spirituals and agriculture right. go hand in hand and hip hop is the great, great, possibly the great, great, great grandchild of the blues. So what inspired you to call the project, the program Hip Hop Agriculture? Well, look, I didn't, I didn't think about it as deep as you just did, but that's great. If you don't mind, I'm going to use that in the future. Go right ahead. Okay, but the <laughs> reason why I thought hip-hop, for decades now, the Department of Agriculture, well, let me back up. Every age of the American farmer is 58.3 years old. Mm. And for decades, the Department of Agriculture has been struggling with figuring out a way how to get more young people into agriculture. Because when you mention farming, our kids are run. Man, right. I don't have anything to do with that. Where you're speaking to a gentleman who grew up on a farm, and uh, when I retired, for your listening audience, I was making six figures in the business of agriculture. 
That's wow. a fact. There are tens of thousands of African Americans just like myself who's in the business of agriculture right now that's probably making more than that as it relates to, you know, growing your own vegetables and that sort of thing. Now, back to why I called it hip-hop. I'm trying to attract young people. In order for me to even get a, a look or a second look at what I'm trying to do, I had to grab their attention. And so by grabbing their attention, I thought of with a catchy phrase, a catchy name, and I thought, man, hip-hop farmers. And uh, I, I trademarked that name, and I've been running with it ever since. And when I shared it with USDA, uh, they thought, well, man, this is sort of, this is different. And so they go, they went ahead and sponsored me last year. And uh, everywhere we went, man, we got great reception. You know, tell me about hip-hop farmers. What is this hip-hop farmers? And so it's been pretty good. It's been working for us, you know, pretty good. And with that, you know, the mission of it, the overall mission of hip-hop farmers is to, you know, to use a music genre, of course, hip-hop, combine that with professional athletes. Again, I'm trying to get the NFL, the NBA, baseball, whomever to support us, combine that with agriculture, you know, to train our young people how to start a business in agriculture. But that's the phrase, hip-hop farmers. I mean, that's that's beautiful. I really, really would like to be part of this movement because one of the things we our entire foundation is grounded in the raising awareness of African-American traditional music and the black experience and everything that goes along with it. And all of these experiences come off of the farm. <laughs> right. That's right. That's you true. know, I, I remember in 2000, what was it, 2004, between 2004 and 2007, I buried my, my father and my mother's father, grandfather. Mm -hmm. um, just, uh, I, I tell the story all the time, so please listeners, just, just bear with me. All my right. mother was born in Chicago and... And her brother, they were born in Chicago, and her parents was born and raised in Mississippi. My daddy was born in New Orleans, and his parents was uh, grandmother Gonzalez, Louisiana, and my grandfather Belrose. Oh wow! We we have a the Pearlies have a burial ground in Belrose, Louisiana. So my first experience on this burial ground was burying my father. I mean, uh, shotgun houses and dirt roads, mm -hmm. right? And you know. Looking out, taking all of this in was very um, surreal, for lack of better words. Mm -hmm. And then to find to find out that there's a pearly family from my grandfather's side of the family, from my father, they they're listed when you look at the census from the late mid to late 1800s until the uh, 20s. They were listed under farmers in agriculture. Wow. So this is, you know, just just from a perspective of tradition and trajectory, and that's just one piece of the puzzle. I don't. This is not about me, so I'm not going to go into the whole thing. That's just, and then the other pieces of the puzzle is I've been trying to convince uh, my mother, rest in peace, who recently passed, and my wife, let's buy a farm. <laughs> oh wow! Down yes, south, down that, south. Yeah, I would. I would love to. We, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, my wife is really into agriculture okay. and, and, and growing and, and, and um, um, cooking and uh, making fresh uh, produce foods. And I right. want to get farm. So yeah, we, we've okay. been looking around. We've been looking up here in uh, the New York uh, Northeast region. We've been looking around. Okay. And, you know, and there's a couple of things we're looking into. But with all that being said. 
just based on what our platform represents, we definitely would like to figure out a way that we can work together on this because I've, I've, I've been really trying to push this in regards mm-hmm. to our experience his, and traditional music. Right, as, right. You know, as, as well as the fact that, you know, times is hard. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, there's a lot of people. Matter of fact, let me present this to you as a question and killer Mike, who I would suggest you reach out to as well. He, he made a uh, mention to this. He's a uh, Atlanta based rapper. He said, how can black people talk about revolution and you don't know how to farm fish? And he went down the line, man. Let, let me tell you, man, I just, me and my son-in-law and daughter and wife, we just come out of Atlanta. When did we do that workshop? Uh, that was in, August? We did a workshop in August. Yeah. And we invited Killer Mike's sister. And uh you're right on target, man, with this. Uh his sister couldn't make it. You know, she she uh, expressed her apology. She couldn't make it because she had another engagement. But we came to Atlanta, did a workshop. That was one of our states. So we did it right there in Atlanta. And so you're absolutely right, man. Uh I believe, and I won't make this announcement with your audience, hey man, we need to form a partnership. We need sure. to form a partnership. And, uh, you know, we discuss it, you know, how moving forward. But it's all about getting the word out. And, uh, you know, celebrities, hey, man, they're important. That's why I, in my mission, I say celebrities. You know, bring celebrities on board. Why? Because our young people, they won't listen to James Bunch, but they'll listen to rapper, you you put the name. You know, behind right, basically, yes, sir. Or they listen to NBA player. You put the name behind it, and so that's why you know celebrities are important. So you're right on target with that. I'm definitely in agreement with that, and we can, like you said, discuss that on off air. But yeah, this is very important. This is I, I'm really excited just just based on the research and reading of African American history, and then to see you know once. And you touched on this of of the different reasons why, but once our people relinquished these or gave up these these pieces of land, mm-hmm. that's that gave a huge uh, boost in the disproportion of wealth between the cultures and races. Right, that's correct. Home ownership is important, but that house got to sit on a land piece of property. The more land you own, the more you're gonna your your net worth is is increases. Mm. Just circling back, are you familiar with what's going on in Mississippi right now with black farmers? Well, I'm familiar with some of the lawsuits, the black farmers' lawsuits, uh, the ones who have been uh, executed, if you will. Uh, there isn't a current lawsuit, not to my knowledge, not that the USDA. Uh, you know, is looking at, not to my knowledge. Um, now, I've heard rumors, but those are just rumors, so I wouldn't want to put anything like that out over your over your program. Okay. So, so let me ask you this. Yes. And audience, understand this is not to be the, the divisive, and you all know I'm not a sensationalist, but I just have to ask this question. Mm-hmm. Is this a difficult, because you mentioned that 
there are a, a plethora of African Americans who who make a great living in this industry. Is there some sort of um, push against black people looking to get into agriculture or some sort of um, oppressive? undertone or is it just pretty much open season for those who who wish to to engage well now again audience listening audience play close attention <laughs> and uh, you're right there will be and i started out like this why would it be pushed back let me explain why there's a big again agriculture is a multi-billion dollar industry and now for you know, over a century or decades at least, there's a certain group that's been getting the big piece of that pie. Now, when I first started Hip Hop Farmers, I reached out to the folks there in Washington, D.C. I've spoken to several congressional staff members. And uh, there's a gentleman, I won't call his name, but he told me, Mr. Bunch, I, uh, I'm behind what you're trying to do. I support you a thousand percent. But here's what you need to know going forward, you know, so that you don't get caught blindsided. He said, what you're attempting to do, you're going to get a lot of pushback because you're trying to bring this agriculture thing to the urban communities. Well, the fellow who's out there in that rural community who own thousands of acres of land, they want all of the pie. They don't want to share it with anybody. And so he was just letting me know, hey, look, man, you're going to get some pushback. Now, have I been noticing that? Yes, I have. You know, I've reached out to the Secretary of Agriculture through phone calls and emails. I've spoken to his staff. You know, with my knowledge of agriculture and my background, you know, I can't get a face-to-face meeting with him. That's what I've been attempting to do. I've spoken to senators about trying to get a bill, you know, regarding hip-hop farmers. Uh, There is an urban agriculture bill out there. And my, my uh, program fit it like a glove, but I can't get the support that I need. And that's why I'm turning to an alternative means of getting, you know, the funding, you know, get a private industry, you know, get away from uh, USDA. However, they may circle back because they did sponsor me last year. And uh, so you, you just never know, you know, the, the administration, you know, who's in charge of the government has a lot to do with it. We all know that First Lady Michelle Obama was a big supporter of growing fresh fruits and vegetables. She even had a garden there at the White House. And that so, is true. You know, again, you know, by us getting together, man, and reaching out, you know, bringing this concept, you know, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Oh, man. Well, yeah, and, and for what it's worth, there's not much that our people specifically, but any ethnicity or culture has achieved without any pushback. So that's just the terrain. (laughs) Right, right. That's right. Yep, that's true. Hey, by the way, are you guys going to somehow connect the two projects? Well, no, because we, again, you know, like I say, you put it so eloquently a a few minutes ago. But no, sir, not at this point. We we have not. We have not decided, but... uh, I don't know. That may be something we take a look at. Right, because I'm I'm more music and he's more agriculture. Hey, before we uh, move on, I wanted to give your audience my Facebook page, Hip Hop Farmers. Absolutely. Okay, it's facebook.com slash hip hop farmers. 
And you'll see uh, pictures of us doing our workshops. And you'll hear, uh, you'll see uh, news articles about the project and also uh, a couple of interviews and video. video, So I I would ask them to go on the page, like it and share it. Man, we've got to blow it up. You know, if you get get a million views or better, that's when you start to get attention. But uh, again, I, I think we'll be able to make that happen. Oh no, that, that's definitely going to happen because this is very, this is something very important, and and w- your your wisdom cannot uh, will not just allow for this project to flourish, but you you I, I really believe a lot of people are going to be eating off of of, the, of this information if if they take heed to it before it's too late. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is I mean I'm I'm excited. <laughs> okay. All right. Because even because uh my my little thing about uh agriculture is even back home from uh you know I'm born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. Now my uncle yeah. James, rest in peace, so, was up Yeah. When you say Gonzales, man, you know that that's like right next door. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I you know I live uh if you're familiar with Southern University, uh, HBCU. Uh, I was five minutes away from that from that campus, li- living in that area that I'm living in, and it's basically a food desert. Like mm. nothing is nothing is there. Uh, the local grocery stores that was there, they it's gone to waste. And that's one of the things I would, if I said if I ever became, you know, being there, whatever, I would revitalize that area because man, at one time, that town would, would flourish because it's all black. Area, Scotlandville, uh, Scotlandville, Louisiana, it was really Baton Rouge, but it's we call it Scotlandville, and it flourished back in the days of my mom and dad. You know, Scotlandville, that's the township. That's what yeah. the township is called. Okay, Scotlandville, yep, Scotlandville, uh, Louisiana, and you know, it was it was an all black neighborhood. You know, they had their own uh, pharmacy, record uh, shop, uh, grocery store, and everything. But as time progressed, and you know, they started busing the local kids to you know other areas you know the the city the the town died basically it really died and you know i mean we was like when when in championships and basketball and football and then you know taking the athletes away from there to the other you know schools and areas and all that the the town died and i'd like to revitalize that area because it is a wasteland almost you know you say something that sparks uh so many thoughts um Jeez, because I, I can just I could go into how when schools were integrated and black schools began to get resources, it, it, we had just like in real estate what was called white flight, and that's pretty much what you just uh, uh, expressed. My question to the both of you, okay, from music to agriculture, how important does the role of education play and to be a, to be able to to uh, remove the marginalization of, of our people in these spaces that are lacking? Well, as it relates to agriculture, I'll, I'll speak on that piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, in order for me to have gone from point A to Z, education was very important. You know, had I stayed on the farm, I may have died there uh, you know, a, a premature death. And the reason why I say that is this, you know, farm accident, working around all the different chemicals, you know, that's used or that they used to use and still do in some cases, you know, to, to grow the food and animals, not just, uh, you know, vegetables and, and traditional row crops, 
but the animals that we consume for nourishment. And, uh, you know, had I not decided or my parents not decided, you know, for me and um, other siblings, you know, to go to college, I may not have become who, or at least I know I wouldn't have become, you know, what I, I needed, who I am today. But it was mm. that next level of education that got me out of the fields into an air-conditioned building. Here's what I used to tell uh, when I used to go out and speak to youth. I would talk to them about uh, when I was back in the early uh, 1960s, late 1960s, early 70s, when I worked in the cotton field, I used the chopping, I, I chopped cotton, I used the hoe, you know, and I made $6 a day. That was the salary from sunup to sundown, approximately eight hours. However, with education, uh, I, I had with me my laptop. I was standing in front of the classroom with my laptop. I said I went from using a hoe uh, in agriculture and making $6 a day, using this laptop computer in agriculture, and I make six figures a year. Mm. The difference was ed- with uh, education. Mm. Now, as far as music... Um let me put an example. Lil Wayne, one one, you know, arguably one of the greatest rappers that's out there now. He went to college because he and he said you know, he wanted to be a better lyricist. You know, he had you know, mm. did a whole bunch of courses in English and uh you know, American literature and all that so he could be a better lyricist. And that's what education can do, can do for anybody. You know, yes, you can be out there, you can you can, you know, rap about anything that's going on the street, but sometimes you can use other words than curse words or street lingo to get your point across, especially if you want to be mainstream. Mm. So that's why I think education, is, especially uh, if you're a musician, uh, music composition, that's where, you know, that's where most of these uh, producers and all that, that's what, that's what makes the real money, the ones who can write. And, and arrange their own music. That is also true. Gentlemen, this this has been a great episode. Once again, 